1: Welcome to Real GM Radio, I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Matt Moore of the Action Network, and as we often do. This is a tears podcast. Matt wanted to do one on where things are right now. We have specific criteria focusing on the regular season, which he will lay out in depth and really fun exercise as always. Apologies that the back end gets a little bit truncated. Um We ran out of time. He, he had a hard stop and that's my own fault. I didn't pace it enough. We were having such a good conversation at the top end. So the bottom 10 teams or so get less discussion. I apologize for that, but still plenty of really interesting stuff here. And so, some fascinating disagreements. So here we go. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. You requested that we do this podcast, and I was excited about it, of course. I love having you on. And you also, as usual, came up with the criteria, so I will let you start with it, and then I'll make any further clarifications, because we had a
0: couple as we went through it. So this time, uh, we are doing Because Never Before has... I think the NBA regular season and playoffs have been more dissimilar. Like I just think that they're entirely different sports. It used to be, I think, like you know, 15 years ago, it was like, well, the playoffs are like the regular season, but much, 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 much harder and more intense. And then it was like, well, the playoffs are a lot tougher, and like there's some other stuff that, that you can do there that you can't in the regular season, and vice versa. And now it's like, no, 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 like stuff that works in the regular season does not work in the playoffs, and stuff that you want to do in the playoffs you can't do sustainably in the regular season over the course of 82 games so they're so different so but with us being so far away from the playoffs now I want to start with all right what's going to set you up for the most success in the regular season what are the things that are going to make you good enough what teams do we expect to be have basically what teams are going to finish high in the regular season regardless without any consideration for what their championship aspirations might be
1: yeah and that was a, a fun prompt for this and the one clarification I asked you and we talked about was how do we handle already known injuries because Sure. And, and I mean, depth on, on a team is something that I heavily considered at different stages of this process. It makes teams more or less resilient because we know they're going to happen. And as Rob Mahoney and I talked about like two months ago, this offseason is just as short as the last one. And that one had a longer gap because of the, because of COVID in kind of the bubble. Now some players didn't, you know, didn't get the same workouts in and stuff. But so depth is going to be a huge part of the, season. But the one other part we were discussing was, you know, already existing, already known injuries, so Kawhi Leonard, Jamal Murray, and well, what made the most sense there is to acknowledge that those exist. So again, we're focusing on the regular season, so that means that Kawhi and Jamal's absences actually affect this more than they would some other criteria, because hopefully they'll be back at some point, we just know that that point is not going to be immediately.
0: Well, yeah, I think, you know, I don't expect to see Kawhi play at all this season, but Jamal, I do expect to see play, but when Jamal comes back, like, let's even say that he comes back early let's say that he makes it right around all-star let's say that he comes back after the all-star gate all-star break he's not playing back-to-backs he'll probably have some energy man injury management games loaded in there so um it's not just that you know it's not just a matter of uh whether they'll play or not it's going to be how much load management does the, do the ripple down effects of those injuries cause uh and how does that impact what a team ceiling can be in the regular season?
1: Yeah. And so the way that I, the way that I ended up, it was interesting because I, I thought my tier one would be like, so the way I described it is high ceiling, high floor. So that means it seems that can be really good, but also you don't expect to fall off too much for that so like I, mean, I don't know if it's i didn't necessarily set a line because the conference the conferences are more balanced i would say than off the top of my head than they have been recently but i was thinking of it more just in terms of team quality like i wouldn't expect them to be bad unless they have or even like not very good unless they have some significant injuries and you know you can get into all that and what was interesting for me is i thought that I was going to have a tier one that was going to be teams I believed in on both ends of the floor. Like, you know, those like, oh, I'm sure they're going to be top 10 on offense, top 10 on defense. And there are teams that I think that have a reasonable possibility of of doing that. But there weren't as many, you know, like, oh, they're locked in there. So instead my tier one is basically I really believe in one side and then the other side is is capable but probably better than that.
0: Hmm, okay, interesting. I like that. What does your top tier look like?
1: So my top tier is five teams. The Lakers, the Jazz, the Nets, the Suns, and the Bucks. Okay. Um, not in any particular order there. The only note also as we get, as we kind of get into it, the Lakers last year had a plus 10 cleaning the glass net rating when LeBron was on the floor and Sure, he's 36 turning 37 in December. There's a chance that he misses as much time this coming year as he did last year. But the Lakers, I mean, they defended extremely well even when their best players were out. And that's the reason their offense took a big dive is because their best offensive players were out what I would say is a larger portion of the year than I would expect.
0: So I I saw the Lakers very high in part because the addition of Russ, I think, helps their floor. It does. Just, you know, AD's got to miss a game. Well, LeBron went for 25-8, and and Russ went for 23-7. and Like, that combination was enough to get them past the Magic. That combination was enough to get them past the Raptors on a Tuesday at home, uh, with the Raptors on back-to-back. Those kind of things, it just shores up quite a bit. Now, I, I think losing KCP hurts. I think losing... Um, the other guys that they've lost, like I actually think Kuzma was pretty good for them last year. So there's a lot of ways in which I think their depth in particular has been damaged. But the guys that they added to bring in can get them through. And I just kind of wind up being like, you know what, they'll win any game in which, not any game, they'll win most of the games in which LeBron, Russ, and AD play. Especially versus any team under 500, they'll win most of the games in which two of the three play. And they'll win if they face a weak opponent, only one of them needs to be on the floor for them to get by. Um, I am short one team, premier selection. I have the Jazz. Mm -hmm. Because even though I think the Jazz probably take a step back this season, their floor is just extremely hot. Insanely Uh, hot. Gobert, Mitchell, Conley gets you – with Ingles, I think – gets you, I think, to probably 50 wins. Even though I think that they probably take a step backwards and aren't the one seed this season. Uh, well, and
1: one other thing on the yeah. Jazz, as you know well, but it's bears repeating, they're one of only two teams that have a consistent home court advantage due to altitude. And so I, I don't know how that's going, you know, we'll have more fans than we did last year, but that matters. You know, like the, the Jazz are going to have that and other teams are not.
0: Right. Um The Nets have to be there, which is strange because I would think that the floor on the Nets was much lower than it was last year. If you had told me that that Harden, Katie, Kyrie almost never played together after the trade for Harden, I would have been like, oh, they must have finished like fifth, but instead they finished second within shouting range of of the number one seed. So they've proven, I think, that having any one of those three guys alongside the shooters, Joe Harris, uh, at all, I think puts them in a position like they didn't have Dinwiddie last year and they've added some guys. You know, I think losing Jeff Green hurts. I wasn't crazy about the Blake Griffin choice. Not that Griffin was bad, just that I think that Griffin's, Green's a little bit more durable. I think they'll miss Jeff Green quite a bit. But Claxton showed so much in terms of what he brings to the table. Um, and they have enough shooting. They're going to pour through most of the teams. They've got to be up there. The Bucks have been a machine year in and year out. It's those four teams have to be up there. Uh, I don't have the Suns. That's so. fair you know i think one uh chris's age you've got you know a a pretty tough stretch for him where he was in the bubble uh and then he was with okc for the first round and then two months off and then back into the season Played a healthy chunk of games, long playoff run, longest playoff run of his career, right back into it. That's a little bit of a concern. I think they caught lightning in a bottle to a degree. Uh, I just think that, you know, especially with the stuff over the action network, you've got to look at it and say probabilistically, are they likely to – was last year kind of a, a ceiling performance for them? And I think it was. And it's not that I think that their floor is dramatically low. I think there's just a lot of ways that they kind of regress and things don't go quite as well. Usually after you have that magical season where everything goes right you kind of have an adjustment where it's like oh things didn't go quite as right this season like the chemistry wasn't quite the same um we had some injuries we you know we had that bad stretch whenever you know whatever happened in uh february and it just kind of threw us off course i still think that they're going to be a very good team but i do actually i don't just have them one tier lower i have them two tiers down wow
1: um, I, I so what gave me pause with them they were the team that was the hardest to include in this tier is that the suns at full strength make complete sets i mean that was that that was not really much in doubt for me last year and Aiden in, in particular took some major strides last year and deserves a lot of credit for that but what is a big challenge for phoenix is that when you Pull basically and they have decent front court depth. Like so if you Aiden, they don't really I mean they have Javale now, but like Charich is out for, if not the full season, pretty dang close to it, with the torn ACL occurring during playoffs that were later than usual. And so you have basically two two centers, and then the guard rotation, yeah, you have three guys that are good, but if one of them is is out or unavailable, then it's harder to do it. And I think they have better depth at the forward line, you know, with Mikhail and Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder, but, you know, again, and and I like Nader a lot. I actually think that he could be an important regular season piece for them next year as well. But the idea basically being that it's harder for them to take a licking and keep on ticking than some of these other teams. And like Milwaukee, for example, yes, losing any one of their best players would hurt them, but they still have enough other ways to win like a game against an average or below opponent. And I think the Suns right. will win a fair amount of those. But that's why they were the team that was the toughest for me. Um, one other note, just to go back briefly to the Lakers, and part of why I felt so confident having them in this tier is that the Lakers have a series of players that I don't necessarily love in the playoff crucible. Mello is a great example of that. Bazemore's limitations. Car- yeah. like, you know, like those type of guys. That doesn't really matter in the regular season, in all honesty. Like they, they'll be fine. Like, if, if there's a game when they're playing well, you could, like, you, Melo's on the floor probably isn't gonna kill you. You know, Trevor Riza will see what kind of game he has after such a weird 20 slash 21 where he basically didn't play for a lot of the year and then kinda came back. And, but I don't, I'm not, they have plenty of guys and like, they also have different options, like, I think Malik Monk could end up being their best one year minimum guy. Like I think Dwight, Dwight is probably the heavy, is the favorite and Baysmore has a chance, but Malik Monk can score. He can shoot and maybe at some point he can defend. I don't think so. I don't think that's coming, but having that many options and also not needing those support players to do that much is a good combination for regular season success.
0: I like how the Lakers basically said to Frank Vogel, Hey, you built this elite defense with Kyle Cooper. Kuzma and Jared Dudley on the roster, uh, and KCP was really inconsistent, and and ADs had to miss time all the time, and you still managed to build this incredible defense. So, what if we just got rid of all the great defenders and we gave you a bunch of guys? Can you still build a great defense? And you probably will, because I think that Frank Vogel is one of the best defensive coaches in the league. Um, yeah, and
1: I mean, the biggest feather in his cap was, I mean, the defense held firm after AD went out, and I mean, Montrez Harrell. Like, I was very skeptical that Montrez Harrell and. Harold did well, but also Frank Vogel's scheme was able to hold even without
0: some of those guys last year. Uh, I have one more closing thought on the Suns. Uh, just mathematically. Sure. Right. So to me, the baseline, a really great indicator for how you're going to do in terms of the regular season, how good are you versus the bad teams? If you beat everybody worse than you consistently, you will rack up a great regular season record. This was the Spurs model for years and years and years, where the Spurs would have the fewest losses to teams under 500 year after year after year during the prime. Um, the Suns last year, kind of surprisingly, were 24 and 10 versus teams below 500. That's compared to 28 and 6 by the Jets. As 26 and eight by the Nuggets and 26 and eight by the Clippers, three teams in the Western Conference, four or five, I'm sorry, five teams in the Western Conference had fewer losses and better records versus teams below 500 than the Phoenix Suns.
1: That's a that's- great. That's a great data point. Uh, another one to mention is that Phoenix, along with a couple of the other teams, actually have in Tier One, gave up a really low percentage from three last year. Mm-hmm. And like I mean, Toronto is probably the best example of how this can swing quickly. I mean, t- Toronto gives up more threes than the Suns do, but they went from I think being one of the five lowest opponent shooting percentages to one of the five highest, and you know their defense looked a lot worse. Great, they also had worse defensive players. But if Phoenix, you know, if let's say teams are shooting thirty six percent, but then they're shooting thirty seven and a half percent next year, like that's gonna that's gonna knock a couple of points.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting is most most people would say, like, well, they can improve that, right? Like, that's something that's fixable. I think it's actually tougher to get better versus teams that are bad than it is to sustain success versus teams that are great. And the Suns were phenomenal versus the best teams in the league. Versus teams over 500, the Suns had 27 wins last season. To put that in perspective, that's eight more than the Sixers had, three more than the Jazz uh that's eight more than uh the Bucks had and it's four more than the Nets. Like the Suns were absolutely lights out versus the top teams, which is one reason why after they got past the Lakers, I was like hammering them to win the Western Conference because I was like, This is a team that I know can beat great teams. I was just worried about them versus the Lakers. They could beat great teams. And it's why they wanna you know, it's one of the reasons they wanna fight favorite in the finals that they lost. So, um, Ultimately, I think the Suns are, are a really interesting case um, to kind of find in the middle. Can I
1: well, tell and, you my second? Well, so one other thing with the Suns, uh, this comes up a lot, and this will be relevant in the second tier as we get into that. I could, I wonder how how Money Williams and the Suns. CP in particular are going to handle pushing in the regular season. Yeah. Like they they were able to advance so far, and now some of that was good fortune with injuries and everything else. But I could see, especially with CP, just you know being like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna rest our guys when we need to. We're gonna be judicious about it because we think if we're the five seed, we can still we can still handle our business. And that is, I could see it. I mean, they they didn't win a championship, but they got far, and they one of their best players is old. So I wonder about that too. That, that that was another reason I considered putting them tier two.
0: Who's your tier two? How okay, it?
1: so the way I classified a tier two is high ceiling, lower floor. So I don't. Okay. I, I think that they – you know there's a there's a theory of the case for all of these teams, but I don't quite buy it as much. Some of that is either inconsistent or flawed players, or in one case injured players. And so that group for me, it's four teams: the Sixers, the Heat, the Celtics, and the Clippers.
0: Wow, the Celtics, the Heat, the Celtics. Mm-hmm. We don't have any of the same in tier two, Danny. Interesting team in the same, in the tier two. Um, I'll tell you my tier two, and then we'll just kind of go back and forth. Sure. So my tier two is three teams, uh, and my definition on this is uh, high ceiling with some concern is basically how it is. Okay. I've got the Nuggets. I've got the Heat, and I've got the Hawks. Mm. That's my tier two teams. I think it's very interesting to me to look at this and say that, like... I basically feel like there's – this top level is so elite, and then there's this kind of like dangerous three teams, and then I I kind of see a drop-off. Let's talk Sixers first because I think that they're the team that would uh, generate the most kind of like dispute amongst most of the audience right now, right? It's like the Sixers were the number one team in the East last year. How can they possibly not be a tier two – a top two tier team? For me, it's this. We don't know what more he's going to get for Simmons, right? It could be he's asked for superstars. Uh, I reported that he asked for Lowry and OG – and Fred VanVleet and the fourth pick um there's been reports about the four pick swaps that he asked for from or the four picks and swaps that he asked for from the the Spurs i think it was like the total was like seven picks uh the offer that he uh, that he asked for from the Cavaliers from sources that inform me of such was insane The franchise
1: yeah it was everything <laughs> It was the whole, the best. whole franchise, but you could keep Kevin Love.
0: Yeah, that was it. That was basically it. So you could have everything except Kevin Love. Um, that was what they what they asked for from Cleveland, which they said no. So the the offer remains very high, but the market has been pretty much like nobody's bit yet. Like nobody's gone for like okay let's make a move for it there was some expectation that the deal would get done shortly after after free agency started no one thought it would get done before the draft that I talked to there was some talks that I reported on with the Raptors but even then it wasn't a, it wasn't considered to be imminent it was like substantial like there was real interest but it wasn't like serious but everyone that I talked to was like they kind of expected more to, to after for, like during free agency to find somebody who had missed out on a free agent and had wanted to reconfigure and looked at the opportunity to get Simmons and that was like the, the plea to ownership like okay we didn't get free agent, but look what I got you, that kind of a deal and that pass. So there's this uncertainty, but there's still an assumption that Simmons is not going to be on roster on opening night. If they don't get a star in return, which is what Maury is very much angling for, with Joel's injury history, he's like, he literally had a torn meniscus at the end of the season. Yeah. I don't know that you can feel like there's going to be the, to me the floor for the for the Sixers is way too low like they could absolutely slide to a 6 seed if they get non optimal return on a Simmons trade and Joel has a usual injury season.
1: I understand that I I think for me the difference is that I believe in their defense. I think that you know yeah having having Joel Embiid helps and I don't I am not the biggest Andre Drummond believer that exists but they ha- <laughs> they have a lot of They have a lot of good defenders, and it's fair to note that Ben Simmons is one of them, and we don't know if he's going to be on the team. I have been leaning, since I heard the reporting of what, and again, what you're asking for is not necessarily what you expect to get or anything. Negotiations can take a lot of different forms. My read on it is that I think Bori is less, he's less enthusiastic about trading, less urgency to trade Ben Simmons than I would have were I in his shoes. And so that I think it's more likely and, – and again, you're more on the you, – you know more from the team thinking side than I do. My instinct is like when you ask for what he asked for, that you're okay starting the season with him because if you weren't, then you probably would make it – you would probably ask for something different. And so that can help their defensive floor. And the Sixers, offensively, I mean – They're going to get some growth from Tyrese Maxey. I'm thinking they can get some more reliability from the second unit. Tobias Harris is still here. Seth Curry and and like it's another year under Doc. We'll see if that if that if that kind of helps. So. I I see where you're going, and I think that like especially with the uncertainty with Simmons, but the other part of it for me with with Ben is that I don't think they trade him for young parts. You know, like that's the other. So there there are times, and you and I had this discussion when James Harden was on the block or you know was was making his way to the block a little bit later in the year last year, and it was basically like we didn't know what kind of a return they were going to get for him, and they ended up going the the young dude route. And I don't see Philadelphia doing that in part because Joel Embiid is this good. Like you, you can't really go the young guys expiring contracts draft picks route when you have my, my per minute MVP last year in what might end up being the prime of his career, depending on health and all that, because his prime might be a little earlier than some dudes.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, look, if they, if they, I think there's a lot of ways that this winds up with. Uh, the, the trade working out for the Sixers. I think – I don't believe Dame gets moved there before next season. I just don't. Um, like I could see, honestly, that the parts that are traded, that Simmons are traded for being sent to the Blazers for that kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see Dame heading to Portland or uh, heading to Philadelphia before the trade deadline. So – and that I think is too late for the Simmons trade. <clears throat> I think it's an interesting question. The Clippers, I'm really curious about you having them tier two. Look, they've proven that they don't have to have Kawhi to win games. They obviously, you know, close out the Jazz without Kawhi. They've won games without Kawhi. They still have a really good roster. I think the chemistry is a lot better. Like, I'm I'm a little higher on the Clippers than maybe I would have been if you just told me, hey, Kawhi's not going to play next season. I would have been like, oh no, like they, things have gone terribly wrong for them. I think that they found something in the playoffs in terms of rallying around Paul George. I think that the previous team, uh, not to name names, but Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, absolutely did not believe in Paul George. And basically they reconfigured because it's like Reggie Jackson, who's such good friends with PG. Uh, you know, Marcus Morris has a real you know, trust with, with PG, those kind of things. So to me, I look at it and I go, all right, they have like a roster that actually believes <laughs> in what Paul George is doing. But I still kind of look at it and go, there's not, there's those games where Kawhi just bailed them out and he's not going to be around. I
1: look at their yeah. roster
0: again and I move them down to tier three.
1: It's, I was, I was too ambitious. I was, and, and even like the other point is like, even if Kawhi comes back during the regular season, he's not going to be there much and it, it might even be just working his way. So I think that's, I, I, I should have, I should have had them a tier lower in the first place. So yeah, that's, they, they are now tier three for me. Let's talk about the Nuggets. I have them the top of my Tier 3. You have them Tier 2. And I think what the challenge for me is that they had this really hot stretch right after Jamal Murray went down. But then when I looked at the overall, you know, clean the glass, and of course, this is also involving time that Jamal Murray was on the team but not playing on the floor. Overall, the Nuggets had a plus 1.4 clean the glass net rating when Jokic was playing and Jamal Murray was off the floor. And I think they're better than that, clearly. And I think they have a good bench, and I think they're well-coached and, and all of that. But do you think that if Murray misses the first 45, 50 games of the year that they can get a top two seed?
0: Mm. Yes, I think that they can by the end of the season. So the, the answer to that would be I don't think that they'll have— so They'd put themselves in shouting distance and then shout. And then close it. Yeah, exactly. And then shout. That's well put. Um that's what, that's actually what I think happens. That's my like operating budget for this season. So uh, I'm out of Denver and I run a, a Nuggets podcast. I'm also the biggest Nuggets, spe- uh, you know, skeptic that there's been. And I've, you know, you try and, and maintain that. You don't want to be uh, in the bag for the home team. It's just not good coverage. Uh, I will tell you, I've already bet the Nuggets to win the NBA title. Wow. Uh, yeah. I've already bet them. Now, a lot of that's because of the number, right? Like I'm not, I like, I, I will bet on a lot of teams to win the NBA title this yes. season. <laughs> I bet the Bucs, I bet the Warriors. I will find the right time to bet the Nets and the and the Lakers. Um, but I do think the Nuggets have really good value at 2200, which is what I, where I got them at 22 to one. So regular season wise, here's the big thing: they have simply they had such a rough start. So th- here's a great number to kind of consider. We talked about the below 500 losses. They were 26 and eight versus teams below 500 last season, Danny. Three of those came to the Kings in the first two weeks of the season. So the rest of the way, they had five losses, the teams under 500. Wow. That's that's after losing Jeremy Grant before they got Aaron Gordon. That's with Will Barton and P.J. Dozier missing time. And that's with the teams that they faced, uh, though they were few and far between at the end of the season, um, after Jamal Murray went down. They just simply win those games. And a lot of that is they have Nikola Jokic in a stable system with continuity. Jokic's best ability is that he makes his teammates better. That's the best thing about him. Beyond the shooting, the scoring, the passing, the best thing is that playing with Nikola Jokic makes you better. He will put you in the optimum position to succeed offensively. And so like a lot of the other teams in Tier 1 where you've got – like, and I'll include Rudy Gobert, as many critiques as I have of him. He makes guys better on the defensive end the same way that Jokic makes guys better on the offensive end. You can be the worst closeout guy in the league, and that's fine because Rudy's going to clean up for you, which allows you to, to close out harder. Um, you know, KD, kind of same deal. He's just going to raise the ceiling. Giannis, same deal. He's just going to raise the ceiling for you. He's going to raise everybody up. They, they are tied that lift all boats. LeBron, obviously. And, Jokic is at that level.
1: And also, Jokic is insanely durable. So, yes, yes if Jokic went down, it would be very difficult for the Snuggets to recover. And there is a possibility that that happens, but he has sure. been remarkably durable in his career. So the chances of that are different than the chances of, let's say, Anthony
0: Davis missing ten games. The Heat are actually the one in my t- in my second tier that I'm most like uncomfortable with. Same, where I I look at it and I go, man, like, I don't know, man. Like this is Jimmy Butler getting up there in his 30s after a lot of years with Tibbs. That's a lot of miles. This is Kyle Lowry, age 36. After a long career, just got the big bag. I don't know how this is going to go. He started to slow down the last couple of years. Like, we saw Duncan Robinson take a little bit of a step backwards last season. Tyler Hero obviously took a step backwards. I don't, you know, bam out of bio. I have some concerns about after that playoff run. Like, I'm a little uncertain about the about the Heat, but then I just go back and I go like, does Eric Spolster have a good roster? Yes. Okay, then they're going to be good. Yeah,
1: and does Eric Spolster have a good roster? And they're going to defend, and so that gives them a platform. I'm less confident in their offense. I mean, and to use a, I'm not. I'm not a, an avid poker player. I'm not. I might get the terminology here a little bit wrong. What makes me queasy about the Heat, other than just the overall conception of how their offense could work at certain moments in time, is they don't have as many outs as I feel comfortable with. So now with precious with precious gone, Bam and Dwayne Deadman I like Dwayne Deadman. but like Hero, PJ Tucker. Like if some of those guys either get hurt or don't have good years, like they they're using a roster spot on Victor Oladipo. We don't know if he's going to play at all. All this year using roster spot on KZF Paula. We'll see if he's like I don't think he's ready for rotation minutes. Haslam's probably barely gonna play. I I maybe he'll play more than last year, who the hell knows? Uh, maybe Struess and Vincent can take a to can take a step up, but this is Struss. Stress. Um Strews. I like Strews. Max Strews.
0: Sounds- Me too. I like Strews a lot. i with you.
1: And um, okay, if it's like, maybe those guys can do it. Maybe some really stand out. Uh, uh, can Omar Yurtsin can step up, but like they have, as much as the Heat have like this like top eight that I think can play and can fit everything else. So it's like, there's something a little bit bucksy about them where they're using yeah. a lot of roster spots on players that they don't expect to play for them. And yeah. sometimes that works. The Bucks won the championship. Sometimes that doesn't because you're like, I, I think back to, God, I want to say that it was like the 17, 18 Suns that had something like that. And then, I mean, granted, they weren't nearly as good, but like a couple injuries happened and they were just like, Oh God, like they, like even a good coach like spoke might not be able to fix that. Yeah. So I, but, but, but for Miami, like where I generally have been on them since they, since the Lowry signing trade happened is I'm more confident in their regular season floor than I am their playoff ceiling. So I think they were helped by this, by this framing, by this exercise more than most teams of their, of their kind of level. Where I don't know, I don't know if it's going to work. I think that I'm not sold on their offense. I'm wondering, you know, this many limited shooters, like and Jimmy Butler, like that can kind of work for Jimmy if everything else. Um, So we'll have to see.
0: Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on the Celtics. I was surprised to have you, to see you have the Celtics that high. Like, I don't have them lower. I have them, um, I have them, I have them two tiers lower, but the two next two tiers are pretty close. Mm -hmm. What's your confidence in the Celtics? I think they have a lot of talent. I
1: think, for me, I, when a team has kind of a version of a season from hell, I generally revert back to a little bit to what they were before that. And the Celtics, they're not so old where you think that's unrealistic. And yes, they've lost a couple players, and and they're they're a different roster now than then. But I mean, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Smart, Horford, the young guys. I, I thought Nismith when I saw him in summer league looked looked intriguing, very good. They got Schroeder for very little. And I don't know how Ime Udoka is going to be as a coach, but I think that he has he has some nice building blocks here. And the Celtics have generally defended very well over the years. They were twelfth last year, but generally in the Stevens era, they've done well. And yeah, maybe some of the Jedi three point defense is going is is was never sustainable in the first place, but. I think that they have enough talent. I think that they have enough different, like, oh, so what, so I mentioned with the Heat, they have, they like, I don't like how few outs they have. I think the Celtics have more of those, especially with getting Schroeder. And I'm not saying I love all of them, but I'm saying they have enough of And like, I'm a believer in Robert Williams. I have been for a while now. And if he can, Put it together even slightly, and maybe having a different coach will will help him get more there. I don't know. We'll have to see. But like the Celtics have re- have that critical mass of players that I think can play and can play
0: together. I've I've moved them up. I've just moved them up after your argument uh in conjunction with this. So from a, a tier 3 Yeah, into a tier 3 from a betting perspective. Uh interesting thing with the Celtics until Jalen got hurt and the wheels fell off late, they were top 10 in every smart betting analyst I knows power ratings. So the power ratings are are the core of of how you determine, like, you know, the input into how do you set a line. Yeah. So the Celtics were one of the ten best teams, even though, like, their record did not reflect as such, and they were middling and bouncing up and down. Like, they were a team that all the metrics, like, really said, like, this team is better than its record. And so, um, yeah, I think it's fair to put them, like, especially, like, if I'm going to have, I think – if I'm going to have the Clippers and the Sixers and the Suns here, and it sounds a little bit crazy, right? Like the Clippers that made the conference finals, the Suns that made the finals, and the Sixers that had a really fluke loss in the the next round, in the second round, um, to put the Celtics there. But I, I do think that when you look at Tatum and how good he is, getting Jalen Brown back and how good he is, the young talent, which looked really good at Summer League, by the way, um, and then just Horford, I think, still has some miles left in him, having a little bit better front court. Uh, yeah, and, and I also, I have said this consistently with the Celtics, when they're expected to do well, they struggle. When they're expected to fail, they succeed. And so we'll see how that translates without Stevens as coach. That's been their M.O. under him as coach. But I kind of think that they'll take on that same identity um, in the first year at least after he's departed for the front office.
1: Yeah, and it seems like some of what went on last year was maybe Stevens' voice, even though he was a great tactician, maybe his voice was ringing a little hollow in the room. I presume that bringing in Udoka will help. I presume that the, the players were, were interested in that Okay, so who in this kind of two three range have we not discussed yet? Um, I have a couple teams, but I'll let you go first
0: in terms of one that you that you're interested in. So tier two, I've got the Hawks. Oh yeah, that's right. we should talk about that. And I just a lot of it for me is simply, that Trey Young has kind of redefined himself to me where there was this idea of like yeah in time Trey could be really good like he could be a really impact guy he takes the playoffs by storm and the other thing is just like look at at some level we've just got to say there was the before Nate Hawks and there was the after the the with Nate Hawks and with Nate at the helm they were just a fundamentally better team like a lot of you'll notice that look at the guys that we have uh, that I have in these top tier tiers right we've got Quinn Snyder, Frank Vogel, Steve Nash and, and with the Nets with three mega stars. Uh Mike Budenholzer which for all of the problems great regular season coach. Michael Malone, Eric Spolstra, and now you know Nate McMillan, I think, is in that conversation as well. With Bogdanovich, they don't have anybody that they're really going to be without for a long time. Maybe DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, just take a step forward. This is a really good team. They're just a really good team that I think will build off of the success of last year. I don't think they make the leap into like super contender, but I do think that they'll still be a team definitively in the top four um, in the Eastern Conference.
1: Here, to me, is the best argument favorite. First of all, I think Trey Young was an NBA player last year in the entirety of the season. I was I was shouting in a room by myself, but that is that is where <laughs> that is where it was. Last year the Hawks had a 120 offensive rating filtering out garbage time when Trey Young was on the floor. That is fantastic. Like that is and there is, you know, probably a, a modest there's a modest amount of, of there's some shooting luck in there but not a ton. And generally speaking, when we talk about shooting, like it's opponent shooting, because, you know, your quality can, your quality can be better or worse than the league, whereas opponent quality shifts because you're playing different teams every time out there. And so then you go, okay, so they're going to have a really good offense. How good is the defense going to be? And last year, when Trey was on the floor, was they were a little bit below league average overall, but they also had less Click Capella than I would hope and expect. And also, I mean, we're not going to see Onyeka Kongwu right away. He's going to miss some time. But they have Gorji Jiang. They have a lot of capable defenders within this rotation, a lot of whom missed time last year. So... As much as like, there were times I was focusing on like the offensive players that were hurt, but like Hunter missing time, Reddish depending on the moment can can fit in there. Another interesting, and now they have DeLon Wright in the rotation. I think I I think he can be a good defensive guard in the rotation. Collins and Gallo, like they, I think they have a better sense of how to work all those guys in. So yeah, I think there's for me the Hawks. It wouldn't stun me if they ended up with like a top two seed in the East. I w- it would stun me if they were one of the two best teams, like you yeah, know, like I, that, that's I, yeah, that's kind of where I where I have them. And for Atlanta, one of the differences between them and the Knicks, which is interesting, Knicks will be a couple tiers down, is even though New York upgraded their personnel more than the Hawks did, the Hawks have more up, they have more latitude in terms of having their guys actually available, and they had the weird start to last year where they had the the coach got fired, and they're mostly on the positive side of the agent curve. Not exclusively. I mean, Gallo in particular, Lou Williams, but Lou Williams wasn't there the whole year, and that's another important point. They swapped out Rondo, who was mostly hot garbage for them, for Lou Williams, who can help out, and now they have Lou Williams for the whole year, and maybe Sharif Cooper becomes a guy, but if he doesn't, then they have enough ways to make the offense work. So yeah, I... I toyed with putting the Hawks in Tier 2. I ended up with them in Tier 3. But yeah, I mean, the theory of it is they'll have a great offense, and if their defense is league average, you know, like if they're a top-five offense and they're around 15th or better in defense, then they're probably a top-seven, maybe a top-five team in the league.
0: An interesting question. My tier four, I'm I'm really interested to get your thoughts on. Okay. So my tier three, I've got most most of your tier two guys. I've got Clippers, Sixers, Suns, and Celtics uh, in my tier three. Sure. My tier four is three teams. It's the Warriors, the Mavericks. So we've got Steph Curry and Luka Doncic, and then Danny, I've got the Chicago Bulls. That's oh boy, where I've got the Bulls. Tier four. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, Danny LaRue.
1: So my tier three is bigger, but we've talked about a lot of the teams. Um, I do not have the Bulls here, so let's start with them. Chicago, I firmly believe that in this exercise, they're helped because their rate, their, their regular season will, you know, the defensive limitations they have will be present at times in the regular season. They will be a much bigger deal in the playoffs when teams can game play it and strategize and everything else. So I'm interested, is your theory here that they have like a top five offense? Because I'm guessing that that's the clearest way to have them in this kind of, this level of, of quality.
0: I think they have a top 10 offense, and I think they have a top 10 defense. So uh, that sounds insane. I, I understand. I, hear, I understand from your silence how insane that sounds. <laughs> <clears throat> Here's part of it. The Bulls finished last season... With the 12th best defense in the NBA, which I just think is wild given their personnel and everything that was going on with them and like just their entire makeup. Like, how did that team end up with a top 10 defense? How is that, or a top 12 defense? How is that absolutely possible? And then if you really start to dig in with them you also find because you you ask yourself the question like well okay like they were they were good sure but like uh what about after they traded for Vucevic when the wheels absolutely fell off for them and the answer was that they were eight defensively after the all-star break that's crazy but true like they struggled offensively after the all-star break which is just baffling um Here's the biggest thing. <clears throat> I think Billy Donovan legitimately raises your defensive ceiling. I think that he just or four rather. I think he I think it's if you have NBA veterans and not just a team of purely young guys, I think Billy Donovan can coach them to a top 15 ranking in defense and defensively. Vucevic uh, is not a good defender, but Vucevic in drop coverage, after he did it for year after, year after year after year after year in Orlando, got to be pretty good. The personnel that they have to play drop is pretty good. Like that, if you're going to play a scheme, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. That's what you want to do. You have a big that can ta- that, that will you know contain at the rim, get a hand up. Uh, Lonzo is a really good help defender, so he can help off on the wing. I'm a little bit lower on Lonzo's defense than pretty much everybody. Um, Levine, obviously, is a problem defensively. The numbers back that up. They have some good, I think, defensive depth on the second unit. Or at least they did. I, I am a little bit worried about it now, given the trades. But that's, like, maybe my, my bigger concern. I also just think that, like, they make a lot more sense. And so... I think there's a good chance that they're not – you're not going to think of them as like a good defense. But if they wind up – even though, let's say they slide, they're 13th or 14th. If they're 8th offensively and 14th offensively, that's probably good enough to get them into a spot where they win enough games – to come out on top. Now, I think the floor for this team is exceptionally low. Like it has to be. It just has to be. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I I think there's a possibility they're a bottom five defense. I think it's more likely they're between 20 and 25. I, Donovan Donovan's coaching, you know, with defense, I the veteran part of it is interesting. I'm there was some shooting luck and stuff for them last year. I also like. <sighs> I think it's possible that you're right, but I'm a little bit, I'm more skeptical there, especially because they've lost some of their important defensive players and they didn't right. really replace them with good defenders. Like, I like Tony Bradley fine, but if Tony Bradley and Alex Caruso are, I mean, I think they're probably, their only two good defenders coming off the bench
0: as, as the, I know the team right now. Right. So I get it. I get it. Uh, but I, I, I want to believe, I want to believe Danny. I want to believe. And I, I do think that the offense is going to cook. And I, I think it'll be a, a really good team. Um, well, let's all note one thing on that. I, I think their offense is going to be good in
1: the regular season is that yeah. I'm wondering how the ecosystem is going just, just from a, from a functional perspective, because part of why DeRozan did so well in San Antonio was that he had the ball in his hands a lot. And I think that the DeRozan vooch stuff will work very well. I think that it will. But what, what's weird for me about. The combination of of DeRozan and Levine, and to a lesser extent Lonzo and Vooch, is that what are you doing with the other guy? And I think that might be more of a regular season thing. And it's not so much like like oh, what, what are you going to do with Zach Levine? He's not Ben Simmons. What are you going to do with Zach Levine when DeRozan's there? It's that Levine is your best player. Are you really going to marginalize his or reduce? Let's not go to him as far as marginalize. Reduce his role in the offense to make things better for DeRozan? Because my answer would be you probably should.
0: I think a good way to maybe think of it is it's a little bit of my turn, your turn in the first quarter. Started. Is, is, is it like the Russ, Katie, Thunder teams? A little bit. I think it's a little bit of. Uh my turn your turn in the first at the beginning of the first and the end of the second and then i think what happens what i would assume like this makes the most logical sense to me is levine takes the early out like he's he subs out at six minutes derozan runs the entire first quarter sits the second quarter until the end of it and levine bridges the gap between those like levine plays more second second quarter minutes than first that he comes back in at like the eight minute mark and basically you get the best of levine in bursts and more steady steady development and just from, from DeRozan. That, to me, makes sense as a rotational piece. I don't worry about Lonzo on ball. I just don't. Like, I just think that he's – uh, like, the Lakers fans I used to argue with would say, look, you don't understand. He's an off-ball creator. I was like, what does that mean? But it really is kind of true in that he's great as a trigger man. He's great at individual, like, little sequences. He's not a guy that you're going to give the ball to and be like, go get us a bucket. Like, go find us something. That's not who he is. But he can definitely knock down shots off of DeRozan, uh, pick and roll, drawing defenders and kicking out. uh And he can make extra passes uh, in that situation. And I think in both of those, those scenarios, they'll be able to find ways – I wonder about Levine's usage, too. I do wonder about that. I do think, though, however, a lot of it is like, well, look, I think, you know, as it hit, I think the bigger differential here is maybe clutch time, where instead of DeRozan, that may be where they, maybe the most tension, where DeRozan's going to be like, well, I need the ball. And it's going to be like, no, like, Zach's the guy. So there's a lot of ways it goes wrong, but I do think there's some capacity for it to go right. What do you think about uh, the Warriors in terms of the regular season?
1: I think that they, I mean, Steph Curry had this unbelievable year and offensively, and basically dragged that team kicking and screaming to twenty first in offense. And I with better surrounding talent, we don't know what clay we're gonna get and when. Um, I think that their offense will be will be much better. And I think that they're can get there. And the defense will take a step back, but it won't take a dramatic one. Um they lost some they lost some personnel, but also they can they can get there. So I, I think of the Warriors as when, as a team that when they're on, they can beat almost anybody, but that is going to be less consistent, both home and away, and that because of the age of their best players. I mean, this is one where you talk about like, oh, well, if you want to go, you know, seasons from hell and go back, but it's been so long. I mean, Clay Thompson is, two major injuries removed from the last time that he was a very good player. And, I mean, basically three years. And Draymond and Steph, and I think the passage of time hurts them relative to those expectations. Also, those teams happen to have a guy named Kevin Durant, which they don't have anymore. So I think that they're going to be a solid playoff team in the East if they can e- assume equal health. And I think that there's a theory of it that they could be stronger than that. But I don't see that. I see that
0: as a possible outcome, not the most likely outcome. I have the Mavericks in this tier four. Same. And it's funny because if the Mavericks had literally any other coach, I would have them second tier. <laughs> and, if had, and if they had any other superstar except Luka Doncic, outside of like maybe like LeBron or Nikola Jokic uh, or Giannis, those are maybe the three guys I would have them tier five. I would have them down with anybody but 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 Luka. I would have them up with anybody but kid. The Mavs are weird because. I, you
1: know, I you can kind of see the, I mean, the offense don't really need much for sales pitch there. They have Luca there. I think there's a distinct chance that he ends up being the most valuable offensive player in the league this coming year. Um, he was arguably that two years ago and their defense should be better than it was just because of the available personnel and everything else. But they're also like, I, I don't know. I'm, I've been feeling very, not down on the Mavericks because I love Luka so much, but like down on their ceiling just because the, their lack of defensive versatility is a real challenge. And I mean, I love Maxi Kleba, but they don't really have that many guys on this team. And I agreed with the decision to trade Josh Richardson and it didn't work out as well as I'd hoped, but they just, they, I, I don't think they have enough horses for me to believe in them as a, a high end top tier team, but this is a fair, a fair equivocation, equalization of Luca's dominance and my uninspired feelings on the rest of the
0: team. I keep waiting for the breakout, right? Like last year, I thought it was going to be like they really. I, I bet on them for the over. I bet heavy on them for the over, and they just really underperformed. And then you know you think like, okay, maybe I was just a year too early into this year. But God, with kid, I'm just like I can't get there. Well,
1: and, and part of it with kid is like he he got so little out of the defensive talent on the Bucks. And yeah. so you will kind of wonder, like, if that's going to be, uh, if that's going to continue again. Or maybe maybe this talent is more suited to what he actually wants to do.
0: Maybe. Maybe. my um, Tier 5, I've got the Blazers, the Raptors, and the Grizzlies. And those teams can all go up or down. I, I think the Grizzlies' floor is probably higher than the rest, and the Blazers' ceiling is probably higher than the rest, with the Raptors solidly in the middle. I can't tell if the Raptors are coming or going. I don't know what they're doing. I I I have no idea. Nobody does. Mine is,
1: mine is a little bigger. So I have the Raptors here. I have the Pacers here. I have the Blazers, the Grizzlies, the Knicks and the Bulls Mm. where not in any particular order. And so for me, it's all the way I described it is their mid ceiling, highish floor where it's like they have a lot of talent. They're not going to be bad, but I don't see a top, a top seed there unless they really go in that direction. And so some of that it's like for Toronto, it's they, I don't think they necessarily want to push in that direction, but for a lot of them it's that they don't have that level of talent. So, like, for the Blazers, I mean, their offense is going to be really good as long as Damian Lillard is there, but their defense will probably consistently not be as good. And we'll see. I mean, having having Zeller, you know, like, losing the Cantor-Melo minutes will be really interesting in terms of that, and swapping out Terry Stotts for Chauncey-Billups will be very interesting as well. Um Did you think about putting the Knicks higher? Because I thought about it. I just couldn't quite
0: do it. Yeah. I mean, it feels unfair to them after what they accomplished last season. Like, they were good. They were really good. And they've improved talent-wise. Yeah, and they got better as the year went on, too. Like, offensively, they made big jumps. You know, the big hit on them early was, like, look, teams are just shooting terribly from three, and that's not going to sustain. I went the other way and was continuing to bet them uh, in terms of night-to-night night because I was like, no, I think this is the year where just, like, they get that luck. I think mean, they just had the season where they get that luck. Doing that two years in a row is almost impossible. If you looked at effective field goal percentage versus expected field goal percentage, oh, man. either PVP stats or second spectrum, it is not close. Like it is not, they are, they, the the big thing here is they had a top five opponent actual effective field goal percentage so they shot badly and they had a bottom five expected so they were supposed to shoot amazing like teams were supposed to shoot really well and they shot like garbage and you take away that defense and i think you just have a lot of questions now look i love the kemba addition i think julius randall is legit even if he has playoff issues i think he'll he'll go back to doing work in the regular season not everybody that plays well in their first playoff run like that's just not something that always happens i think they'll be they'll be competitive but what's interesting is like if you look at it you know i've got Nets, Bucks, Heat, Hawks, Celtics, Bulls all ahead of them. That's six. I've got Raptors one tier ahead of them. That's seven. That means I'm saying the Knicks are a play-in team fighting for the eight seed. Um, I could see the Knicks finishing as high as fifth again. I could see that going their way. I do think that you have to like be a little cautious with things were really awesome last year and that was great. This is my big thing. They had a really great season. It's not very often the teams have a really great season in back-to-back years unless they have a transcendent top five talent. They do not have one. So you have to kind of bank on regression if you're being realistic.
1: Yeah, I think you do. And maybe that regression sort of balances with the talent upgrade, you know, getting Kemba, getting Evan Fournier, but it might not. And now that I think RJ Barrett's in a better position to succeed, I think Julius Randle, but I think in some ways that for Randle, they will be more in the playoffs than the regular season um it, it is really interesting the grizzlies i mean I was impressed with how overall how they defended last year I think that they you know that they could get that and if Jaw takes a step forward if they can kind of some of the other offensive the perimeter players could take a step forward then get that offense to a different level maybe they firm up their place in the playoff hierarchy but the West has a lot of playoff caliber teams and Memphis be, being that team that moves up or theoretically if New Orleans did it, that's going to put a lot of heat on someone. We don't know who that someone is yet just because of how the numbers work out. Um, just kind of, we, we, are running out of time. So we'll go through the other tier. So I have it. My tier five, I call it possible, but less confident. That's the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Wizards, and the Kings. Like, there's a hmm. way that they become playoff caliber. I'm just not all the way
0: there yet. They each have reasons for me to be queasy. Uh, I have them in tier lower and tier six. My fifth The fifth Pels year, or? The, the Pels and the Wizards. Okay. Um my fifth is Knicks, Pacers, Hornets, Spurs. Okay. I still think the Spurs will find a way to be good. That may just be blind. I like some of their talent, I like Helen Johnson. I think Dejounte Murray takes a, takes a step forward. Uh, Doug McDermott gives them some shooting. I think there's a good chance that the Spurs are just like, man, they're just a pain. Like they're not good, but they're just like they beat a lot of the bad teams and they wind up with a pretty decent record. Uh, Pacers, I think you have to include in there. It's still a really talented team. They had so many things go wrong for them last year. We'll see what happens. Yeah, the I, have the, I
1: have the Pacers tier four.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Hornets, I think have a real chance to jump up too. I think that they can make a leap. I'm being a little skeptical because I was too high on him last year at mid, by mid-season, and they finished badly, and he lost Devontae, but if, in a lot of it's just like, look, if Gordon Hayward can ever get healthy, just ever get healthy, with Le- Gordon Hayward and Lamelo, that's a really good team. Uh, my tier six is Pelicans, Kings, Wizards. I'm not as high on the Wizards. I don't understand where the confidence is coming from. This is Bradley Beal and a bunch of, like, nondescript role players. I, I, for,
1: for me, it's Dinwiddie. I think Dinwiddie's a, I think Dinwiddie's a good player, and yeah, he is. The, the big concern for me with the Wizards is they just finished... Sixteenth in defense and I thought that was a massive triumph of their relative to their defensive talent and they just lost Robin Lopez, who was a big part of why they ended up sixteenth. So
0: yeah. that's gonna be a real challenge. Yeah. Uh seventh tier <laughs> by the way, my seventh tier, uh let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six actually my eighth tier by itself below the Wizards is just the Wolves. The Wolves are in this spot where they're just in this nebulous drift between <laughs> The, the bottom tanking Cavs, Magic, rock, Rockets, Thunder, Pistons, and the teams that are like, ah, eh, they make, make the playoffs. The Wolves I have put here. I am kind of thinking if like, the Wolves are going to turn into a trendy, trendy dark horse.
1: I, 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 had the Wolves and the Spurs together and I called it, there's a chance. Like, yeah. I, I can see a path. I don't expect that path to be taken. Um, but the Spurs are better coached, and the Spurs, the theory of their defense is sound, is more sound, obviously, because
0: they've been a good defense. How many teams are in your last year? Five. And then, uh, yeah, Cavs, Magic, Rockets, Thunder, Pistons.
1: Yeah, and the Thunder and Magic, I think they're, I like their talent better than the others. Also, like, they have, they have more of it, but, I don't think they want to be in any other tier, so I, that that pulls them back down here. Like I could see the Thunder winning significantly more games than the other four teams, but I could also see them winning more games over the first half and Sam Press just being like, "Hell no."
0: No, no, no. I think that wraps it up. Thanks for having yeah. me. This is always fun, man. I can't wait to do this again with you before the season starts.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at the Action Network. You can also, if you don't somehow already, follow him on Twitter at HPbasketball. And you can listen to him, he does a lot of great podcasting work and has done some great broadcasting as well. So there are a lot of different ways you can get Matt's insights and you'll probably get them here as well at, at, at points throughout the season. Really appreciate him coming on. And it was beyond being able to like see live basketball, which was exciting. I'd only been to one game in the kind of the COVID, I mean, we're still in it, but like in during that time, it was nice to see live basketball again at Summer League. It was also really nice to see people getting Matt high on that list hadn't seen him in let's say two years I think something like that so very nice to to have some of those in person and a few a few listener interactions which is always great um less of that I think because we're wearing masks and I was you know kind of keeping keeping more to myself being safe and all that fun stuff but if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can subscribe download every episode whatever podcast player you use Spotify Apple Podcasts it really does help and you can also leave a rating leave a review helps other people find the show and word of mouth helps too whatever really you want to do. You can also check out my other work. I have a bunch of collaborative pieces that came out at The Athletic. Of course, Nate and I are going strong with Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. We're at the two times a week now stretch but we're still have a lot of great content. We actually just recorded our regrades of the twenty twenty East Offseason. We're gonna get into off grades for 2021 very quickly and then a lot of other content as well, you know, team specific and everything else. So you can check that out. And I'll probably have more irons in the fire now, now that I'm back from summer league. And actually in some ways when I have a little less on the docket, that means that I get more done just because I don't have things pulling me in different directions. We'll see. I'm not making any promises. Um but no matter what, real GM radio will still be once a week really do appreciate all of that if you have any feedback on the show good bad or indifferent danielarue nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to send it i will take the time to read it that is a promise i'll try to get back to you but i admit that i'm not the greatest on that i will read it though they go to a separate place in i always do that every day before i go to bed so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day